Welcome to Get Smart Radio. Get Smart Radio. We don't want to do anything to scare your children. That's the last thing we want to do. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. <laughs> I wonder what's in your cereal bowl, you know? Get Smart Radio. I'm going to try and forget you said that. This show is recorded live in San Francisco at DeBose Park Cafe. Tonight's topic is meat. Meat. We're gonna talk about meat. Yes, meat. Why we love it, why we're afraid of it, why we feel disconnected to how meat comes to our plate. Tonight's discussion will help connect us to the ecology of meat from the farm to the fork. To help me with this incredible discussion, are two people that are volunteer their time who are experts in their fields. First is Josh Eppel. And Josh Eppel is a partner in Jews Brothers Meats. Also joining us this evening, a world-renowned chef. She also owns three restaurants in San Francisco, Tracy Desjardins. Well, I actually thought that I was going to be a, you know, a veterinarian uh, when I was younger for a long time, from like 5 to 17. So now I, I think I spend a lot of my time contemplating how to cook animals rather than how to save them. Myself, I'm, a, I, I'm an animal lover, so if I thought too much on it, it might, you know, it'd probably it'd bother me a little bit. But then I think about that these animals are raised for that, and they wouldn't be there if they weren't used for that. So I'm a huge animal lover, but I also, you know, grew up in a, a farm town in a family that hunted, and I watched my dad slaughter a pig when I was about eight years old, which was really kind of a horrifying experience. But nonetheless, it, it brought me very close to, to what it is that we, we do. I mean, that we, you know, meat is a live animal at some point in time. And I think people who are disassociated from the animal as opposed to the meat are, are missing the link, maybe. You know, the old traditional butcher shops, you'd see animals hanging in the back, and you had more of a connection to the idea that the meat, the steaks, uh, whatever it was that you were buying, was actually a whole animal at some point. But because most people now shop in supermarkets where you have stuff that's prepackaged in styrofoam with plastic wrap over the top, you lose your connection to it ever having been an animal at all. You got like whole lamb coming through the door, and she's right. When they, when they come through the door, people freak out because they got to carry it through, and everybody's like, you know, what is that? What is that? And that's all we always say, oh, it's a Doberman pincher. <laughs> Ooh. So if an alien came down from the earth and never had eaten anything connected to meat, what would be the first thing you'd want to serve them? And let's talk about what we're going to do. Tofu. <laughs> I was going to say chocolate cake, but... Bacon. Bacon. Tell me a little bit about that. Like, you love bacon. I couldn't live without bacon. So, you know, with, with the question, you know, if you had to, to kill what you eat, what would you eat? I think I would have to adapt to being able to kill pigs. Because I don't think I could live a life without bacon. Salmon. Because everybody that doesn't eat fish eats salmon. Salmon skin sort of tastes like bacon. Well, it's, <laughs> you could probably make It's any, the bacon of fish. It's the bacon of fish. It's the other pink meat. Um, you probably can make salmon skin taste like anything you want. It tastes like bacon. <laughs> oh, God. Fishy bacon. Someone, if they put a sticker on something, like it's Nyman Ranch, and it's not Nyman Ranch, I can tell it's not Nyman Ranch. Even though that New York strips look the same, each, each company, they have their own way of cutting it and how it looks. Something's contaminated or it's not right, and I'm the really picky. They hate me because I'm always 
you know, this isn't right. I ain't, I'm, not, I'm not accepting this. And go to a smaller place, somewhere, someone who knows the, where it's coming from, the people that provide it for them. They're the ones that are going to safeguard it for you. He's handling it from a different standpoint than I am. I mean, he's trying to safeguard against, you know, sort of rotten meat coming into his shop. Um, mine is all about food handling in the restaurant business, and that's all about cross-contamination, and this is actually very relevant to the home cook, because most of the bacteria that you're, you're dealing with on the surface of meats are going to be killed by heat. Most often, you're going to find that bacteria on the outside, and once you cook it, you've seared off that, that contamination. What about steak tartare? Risky. At what point would either of you eat it? If I cut it? I eat it all the time. <laughs> well... <laughs> small farmers are, you know, going by the wayside, and it's, it's really about institutionalized farming, and that's where you get into the trouble of the caretaking and the real scrutiny, right? Yeah, that's true. I mean, it, it, the, bigger, the bigger they get, the, wor- you know, the worse it is. What's aging, besides what I'm experiencing in my own face? <laughs> Tenderness. Uh, if you eat it too soon, it can be really, uh, re- really wet, no flavor. You really want it to dry out. Um, it's mostly with lamb and, you know, lamb and beef is, is really what you want to age. The better the age, the more tender the cut, the more flavorful it's going to be. About dry aging, that's a different process. That's a whole another deal where there are special refrigerations blowing dry air onto something. Um, and some people are, you know, go crazy for it. It sounds like Florida. Like that's what they do. They do dry <laughs> aging there. They just sit there and they dry and they age. Um, <laughs> we do have a meat locker at Acme. We were buying from a lot of producers early on. Um, we were sort of at the forefront of, of procurement of, of local grass-fed beef. And one of the biggest problems with grass-fed beef initially was that no one was really aging it. Um, and so we had to have an aging facility so that we could take grass-fed meat and age it. Speaking of grass-fed meat, tell me a little bit about the, the, the trend of organic meat. And what does that mean? Is it, does it, is it all about what they eat? Or is it also about how they're killed? Grass-fed and organic aren't the same. Organic is the feed. It's fed a certified organic feed. And grass-fed just means it was, you know, there was no grains or corns involved in the feeding of the cow. As a butcher, people come to you, what percentage, like, let's, it's a Tuesday, right? And you sold meat and you're, you're doing your little tabs of how, would I, how did I do today? What percentage did you sell that was organic and what wasn't? Probably 90% not organic. Okay. But, you know, it's... One, almost 100% sustainably farmed. Acme, because of sort of the way that we started, and we started on a platform of sustainability, featuring basically grass-fed producers in, in Nyman Ranch, who is, you know, grain finishes his, his beef, but basically talk, starting with a benchmark of, of um, sustainable meats. Um, that's more the benchmark there, um, the standard that people are looking for. Whereas at Jardinier, people are just looking for something delicious, and they don't really care how it was grown. It's like natural used to be 15 years ago. Everything was all natural. That means you were getting the top of the cream of the crop. Now natural means nothing. It's on everything and it has no definition whatsoever. You know, then there's the people that have read, you know, On Amor's Dilemma and they know everything about it and they'll sit there and preach all day in your store about it. You know, I'll talk about them. People think that they might want organic meat. But there are very few actually organic meats available. The American palate has been programmed to like grain-finished beef. And there is a huge problem with grain-finished beef. That is that that cows are meant to eat grass. They're ruminants. They have three stomachs. They're not supposed to eat grain. So grain actually makes them sick. Cows have three stomachs? Yeah. Wow, that's a lot to watch. Yeah. (laughs) 
So grain makes them sick, and, and thus you have all these antibiotics that you have to feed these animals to keep them well. People think they want organic, but then they taste it, and it doesn't taste like the meat that they grew up on, um, and they don't like it. Is there a meat that either of you just won't eat, and tell me why if there is? Uh, venison for me. It's just too, way too gamey. I have thought for a long time that our, our beef supplies in this country are not safe. Um, and we're not doing much to safeguard against um, mad cow disease. There's a lot more that our government could be doing in terms of testing and standardization. So I'm kind of creeped out by beef when I don't know where it comes from. When you're grinding up cows and feeding them to cows, um, you've got a big problem. And, and that is something that concerns me greatly. And so I like to know where my beef comes from. And if I don't, I'm probably not going to eat it. You know that campaign that Wendy's did, Where's the Beef? They should have a new campaign called, Where's the Beef Come From? And, and you could, you know, carry this card and give it to your waiter and say, excuse me, before I order, you give them the card, they take it back to the chef, the chef writes on it, you know, and then you know where the beef came from. I'm going to start that, Get Smart Radio. From what I hear from Whole Foods is they, they do a lot of that high price stuff that's really not, shouldn't be high price. And the funny thing about that is they buy it cheaper than anybody else because they do their own distributing. What are the healthiest aspects of meat, and particularly looking at like pork versus cow versus sheep versus goat, if you, if you were looking at this in a health perspective, do you have one that you think is healthiest and what aspect of it is healthy? I just, I, I, I look at it as moderation. You know, it, it's, all, it's, all, you know, it's all about moderation. You mix it up. You know, you have, ste you have steak one night. For me, I won't have steak for a couple weeks. And I mean, I'm not, you know, it's not any other reason than I just like variety. But it's all, if you eat everything in moderation, it's, you're fine. You don't, you don't have to worry about it. You know, it's about portion size and as, you know, moderation. It's, you know, the, the sort of idea that, you know, anyone should sit down and eat a, you know, 30-ounce steak is just wrong. Unless you're from Texas. Right. This writer writes in from uh, Modesto, California. Uh, which part of the cow is used for ground beef? It's pretty much all of it, but it's the main parts would be the chuck and the sirloin, which you would be, if you were going to just grind up straight up ground beef, you'd use those parts. Otherwise, everything goes in there. Did you go to school, or did you just learn this from doing? <laughs> I mean, is there a butcher school? They, they, I just got pulled in. Uh, the other, this was in quotes, the other, in quotes, parts of the animal, brain, stomach, lining, tails, etc., are these becoming more popular as a more ecological solution, like using the whole animal, the holistic trend, whole animal, whole? Are you done? I'm done. <laughs> um, it has become a, a bit of a trend. Um, I mean, if you look back to sort of, you know, the old ways um, when people killed whole animals, they valued every part of it. Um, and they, they, they valued it because they really needed it to feed their families, basically. I mean, if you killed a whole animal, you were going to use every part of it that you could possibly eat. Um, is it going to become something that everybody's going to want to eat? I mean, I don't know that many people that like tripe uh, or that many people that like brains. Um, it takes a deft hand and, and a knowledge of cooking to be able to deal with them. Uh, is haggis stomach lining or something? Is that what that is? It is nasty. Oh, really? <laughs> See, I got two meat eaters saying haggis is nasty. What is the most ordered meat in a restaurant and in a butcher shop? If you had to pick one that's like, oh, every day I sell like tons of this. Uh, it'd have to be a chicken breast. In a high-end restaurant uh, and a steakhouse, it's going to be filet mignon. Someone writes in, what are buffalo wings and are they under the arms of the buffalo? 
I mean, I, I don't know what the de where the definition comes from, but it's just you know, it's just wings that have been cut in half. It comes from yeah. New York. It's from Buffalo, New York, and that's why they're called Buffalo Wings. See? Here's a question about then and now. The question is, how easy it is to source humanely raised and slaughtered meat today versus five to ten years ago? I think there's a lot more meat out there that's available. Um, I think a lot of the problem that we're experiencing, it's around labeling. Natural means absolutely nothing. Safeway is marketing all this meat that says it's natural, which has absolutely no definition in the context of anything. You know, trying to ascertain what these labels mean um, organics, the most stringent, and yet people are finding ways to get around that and use organic as, as a label that they can market things under. So, and our government is not doing a very good job because of all the lobbying efforts um, in big business to prevent proper labeling. There's not a lot of perfect product out there. It's very hard to find. Um, I think it's in fairly high demand. Um, and most of the people that are producing stuff that's truly organic is are having difficulty um, because they can't do it on a large scale. The feeding of or, uh, purely organic product, it's, it'll just drive you out of business right there. So that's why they're having such a hard time. And they can only do so much of it. There's only so much room. Farm-raised salmon, farm-raised trout. What does that really mean? It's like, it's like they were born inside a place where they put them there to be born to be killed, right? Look at our salmon season. You know, we, have, we don't have one. There's not enough salmon, you know. Yeah. So sometimes I wonder if the future of eating seafood is going to be farmed because, I mean, all the junk we're putting into the oceans or have put into the oceans, you know, that's affecting it. Oh, you we're know? just eating too many fish. I mean, the, the, the supplies have dwindled by, I don't know, 70% or something like that from what they were, say, 15 years ago. So wild fish is going to be very, very hard to get your hands on. And um, what we need to do is be supporting responsible farm raising of fish because there's no way we're going to keep up with the, the supply de uh, the demand um, of the consumer. Wild fish is skyrocketed. Stuff is up two, three dollars a pound if it's wild and that's, you know, that, uh, that's saying a lot that it's just not out there and it's, it hasn't really slowed down the demand either. So it's, you know, farming is coming. It's, you just better hope you stick with the right ones. Are there um, things that we can do, like direct actions, what to say to our butcher, what to say to the butcher behind the Safeway I mean, is that even... Do you have a butcher? Do you? Ha I have a butcher. He's right here. He's very cute. <laughs> exactly. I like no, him. I mean, I'm, I'm making the point that it's important. I mean, I think that, you know, unless you want to sift through all this information that's out there yourself, um, that, you know, the easiest way to... Um, being able to make smart choices for yourself is by having a relationship with someone that knows this stuff. Um, Can you give out your phone number and then we'll just all call you? <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> Well, let's talk about veal for one second. That was a big thing. People are upset about veal. Tell me why and tell me what ways to have veal that's not so bad or is that an oxymoron? Well, they are baby cows, so, you know, get your head around that. Um, they're baby. But what's the difference between killing a baby cow and killing a cow? I don't cow? think there's any difference, but, you know, it is a baby, and some people have a problem with that. It's a Let it live its full life it's, and then disappoint it, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let it have those experiences. <laughs> Why isn't it? Eat more grass. Come on. Cows, are, cows are dumb. Why is New Zealand lamb so popular? It's cheap. That's why. That would that'd be the only reason why it would be popular. It's cheap. It's, a, it's much cheaper than the American lamb, but if you put them up against each other, our Sonoma is probably the best there is. So. Can I tell you a low point in my career? I was in New York City, and I was a production assistant on a, on a commercial for New Zealand lamb. And my job as a production assistant was to hold this green Tupperware off camera. So every time the actor was finished chewing, she would spit it into my thing. And they'd do several takes. 
And there was one point in the, in the, in the afternoon when I was, it was about four hours later, and I was looking into this big green Tupperware of pre-chewed pieces of lamb. And I looked into it and I just reflected on my life. And I thought, and I just, that's why I don't probably eat New Zealand lamb. What is the best way to cook, cook a steak? I, I think I, I like two different methods. Um, I love cooking over live fire. Um, and I'm not talking about a gas grill. Uh, I'm talking about, you know, mesquite or, or wood grill. Um, and you get all that great flavor from, you know, the wood smoke. Um, but the other way I really like to eat steak is pan-seared, um, a hot cast iron skillet, because you get this great crust on the outside of it, and um, it's, it's fantastic. So I think both of those methods, they sort of deliver different qualities. How hot is that cast iron pan be 